I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you want to call your friends and have them tune in via live streaming video, they go to www.bornagainmormon.com and go to the TV shows, click on Watch the Show Live, and they can watch it live anywhere in the world. Some shout outs. Let's go to Julie, Suzanne, and Kristen Nelson, avid uh, faithful watchers of the show. My friend Shirley Thompson, Tamari, the Gormans, thank you so much. Alan and Linda, Stan and Val Ellison, thanks you guys for all your support. In the house tonight, we have a whole bunch of people. Lucy from Logan, Margaret, Catherine, Ben and Mark, Meredith, Wendy, Callie and Russ, Melissa, Eric, Wade, John, Robbie, Andy, and Abby. So it's great to have all their shining faces here. They keep me entertained as I try to do this thing. Pastor in the pub tonight, right after the show, or about 9.30. It's at Squatter's Pub on 3rd South in Salt Lake City. And if you uh, want to show up there, then uh, we have a DVD, a free gift for you, which I'd show you, but we have another graphic on the screen. And uh, that's there. If you show up at Squatter's Pub tonight, we'd love to give you one. Also, uh, Born Again Mormon, we have a new cover and a little bit new edition of the book. And uh, what we have is a new title. Uh, the book is the same, but it is called I Was a Born Again Mormon. And uh, it's in color now, and the font is normal size, so you don't need to get your glasses. And I, we actually sold out, and we put page numbers in it. And uh, it's available at Benchmark Books. It's available at Christian Gift and Bible here in Utah. It's available online at www.bornagainmormon.com. It's a great gift to give to your friends. And if you can't afford one, we always send them out free. Uh, but support the bookstores if you can, or go to the website. You can get them through uh, there as well. Born Again Mormon. I was a Born Again Mormon. Last week, we said we were going to make an announcement. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Oh, one more thing I forgot. There was uh, a tragic death of uh, Stephen Andrews uh, from Christ Evangelical Church. He headed up the Samaritans Outreach. Uh, I think it was a prison outreach and working with uh, people. I'm not com completely sure, but I did meet his spouse a few months ago, and he was killed tragically in a motorcycle accident last week. Christ Evangelical has been hit with a lot of different trials this past week, and so our prayers are out to the Andrew family and to everybody down there who are being... Uh, being hit hard by the adversary. So let's include them in our prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for this airtime. We pray that your spirit will be with the viewers at home, our audience members, our, cat, our crew, and all that they are doing. We pray you'll be with uh, the people uh, down in uh, the Provo Orem area, the Andrew family who have lost uh, Brother uh, Stephen Andrew tonight. So we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The focus of our show has primarily been on religion. Um, Specifically, it has been geared toward comparing biblical Christianity with, uh, with Mormon doctrine. And uh, we've tried to stay on doctrine of the LDS Church uh, and history this year so that we can make a, a fair comparison between what the Bible says and what Mormon doctrine is. Underlying almost everything that we discuss, however, I hope it's been apparent in our ministry, is God and the way that people... Uh, should relate to him according to the manual we believe he gave, and that is the Bible. It's become apparent uh, since almost the day we started this show that there's a natural outflow of um, what we are doing here and uh, people being interested in our approach to organized religion. We get emails all the time saying, what do you think of a religion that does this? What do you think of churches that do that? Do I need to do this in my church? Do I need to do that? I'd like to take a minute and speak uh, on this topic. If you've watched the show for any amount of time, you know that uh, we at, in our ministry, Aletheia Ministries, that is Born Again Mormon and everything else, are not really fond of organized religion, institutionalized religion. It's never been something that we're, we're truly fond of. Uh, religion in the Christian sense today seems to focus on this broad spectrum um, of man-made ideals. And we have at one end of the spectrum, we have uh, liturgical churches. We have churches that are really founded on a lot of rites and rituals and form. And you go and you do this thing uh, in order to appease or draw closer to God. And I'm not a, against those liturgical churches. They provide something for some people who need to go through ritual and rites and, and a certain process every week so that they feel better. And, and I understand that human beings need to do certain things sometimes. And liturgical churches uh, provide that. They would be at the very conservative end of the spectrum of what a church does. On the other side of the spectrum, we have what would be considered the liberal end. And that might be uh, what people are calling the charismatic churches. That might be some, somewhat charismatic. That might be what people call emergent churches. It's what people call seeker-friendly churches. And, and often, uh, these two have constructs that have been developed by man over time that help people come to know God in a more relaxed way. And it gives them the freedom and the liberty to go about worshiping Jesus with all kinds of expression and emotive uh, responses to their spirit and what's going on. And so we often have a lot of loud music and we have bass and drums and, you know, Jesus and whatever. So we, we have these two spectrums of when it comes to organized religion. Where liturgical churches tend to demand conformity to a set of man-made expectations uh, and they often say that it's God's will that you fit these expectations. Seeker-friendly churches these days have gone to the other extreme and often don't demand anything of people who step into the church. They just, in some cases, not all, some cases they want to entertain. Since Born Again Mormon began four years ago, and since we started airing these television programs, people have wanted to know what we think a church should look like. 
This has been a long time coming, and so we want to give you an invitation right now. There's no audio for the next 30 seconds. So that's right. We are announcing that we are planning a church in Salt Lake City. The church is going to be at the Gateway Megaplex Theaters starting July 15th from 9.15 to 10.15 in the morning. Um, we invite you to come and see. And let me take the last few minutes of this, inter of this announcement to address some issues relative to our in intentions and our approach. First of all, I didn't write Born Again Mormon uh, moving toward Christian authenticity to start a church. Uh, it was not my intention to pastor a church. I will not pastor this church. I'll speak at the church, but will not pastor it. My partner, Kevin Kennington, will be pastoring the church. This will play greatly into the structure of the church that is called Lord's Word, Lord's Word Church. Secondly, there are a number of very good churches out there in this state. Our intention is to not take one single person from those churches. If you are happy and content, if you feel that you're learning the word, if you love your church, go to your church. Do not come to uh, this church because there's some tie into you watching this show and you think that it will be better. It probably won't be when you hear what we're going to be doing. In essence, we have a specific mission that we're going to try to reach in a church plant like this. And if you are happy in your church, do not come here. Of course, we'll steal every Latter-day Saint we can get. So uh, if you're Mormon and you're looking to know the Bible and how to worship the Lord, please come to the church. Uh, there'll never be memberships. There'll never be a role. We won't know who you are. You show up, you leave. If you just want to experience what we continually talk about here and the differences between a relationship with God and what pro forma church looks like, come and see if you're LDS. Now, our ministry will continue to recommend churches in the greater Utah area on our show and on our website. We'll continue to establish the relationship we already have with churches that we recommend. The Lord's Word method of religion or church or whatever you want to call it is going to be different and it will certainly not be for everyone, believe me. So please don't take this as an announcement for us to capitalize on the fact that we have the listening ear of uh, people all through the state. It's not. You may wonder who we would like to see come to our church. Some pastors set up churches so that they can reach the youth. Some set up churches for the lost and the homeless. Some set up for the elderly community and the outcasts. The Lord's Word mission uh, that we have is to reach out to the lost, to teach the Word of God, and to help them serve the community. We want to reach, we want to teach, and we want to serve. So who do we hope to reach? Anyone who is searching for more in their spiritual life. Anyone who is seeking to learn and who, anyone who does not want their religious life, meaning their church life, to rule their world. We want to invite you to come. We seek the seekers. We seek the sinners. We seek those in bondage to the things of this world. We ask you to come and see if you're interested in uh, not being religiously beat up any longer. Or if you have been a victim of ecclesiastical abuse. Or if you have been doctrinally fooled. Come to Lord's Word Church. 
Come and see if you believe something is off in your faith. We don't care how you dress. Come in a suit and tie if you feel comfortable. Come in your pajamas. We don't care. We don't care what you do for a living, if you're wealthy or if you're an ex-con. We don't care how you live today, if you're a whore, if you walk the streets, if you're a drug addict, if you're a homosexual. We do not care what your practices are. We care that you seek for truth and you're looking for something in your life that's going to release you from the thing that you're currently in that is not working. Every single person is welcome. Now, what can you expect at Lord's Word? You can expect five things. You can expect to have a peaceful time of worship through God. It's going to be uh, primarily just a guitar with amplification of the guitar. There won't be a big band, anything there. You can expect worship. You can expect to pray as a corporate group together over the things of the congregation. You can expect to hear the Bible taught line by line, verse by verse, exegetically and inductively, going through the Word. Not picking out stories, not going from this to that, not going from verse to verse in different areas. We're starting and we're working through the entire Bible beginning July 15th uh, at um, 9.15 a.m. And you can expect to have your children be in a place where they can be safely cared for, uh, by people who have been screened. And then you can also expect our weekly services to never, ever go longer than an hour. You can also expect the free parking and the air conditioning and the theater seats and all that stuff. But what we want are people who are coming because they're searching. What should you not expect at Lord's Word? Don't expect anything that's seeker-friendly whatsoever. You will not see PowerPoint presentations. You won't see flashing lights. You won't see great mega bands. You'll see nothing like that. It's going to be a peaceful place of uh, worshiping God Almighty and studying His Word for an hour at a time. Uh, and don't expect to find a ready-made system for Christian counseling, for social events, for the church to become your life. This is going to be uh, what I've, I've said already. Also, if you're a co coffee drinker, fill up somewhere else. It's not going to be a place for you to just, just bash in the coffee. You can bring it. Bring anything you want. I don't care. But it's just not going to be what you traditionally see. We want those who are searching for a relationship with God. And um, we don't want to become an intermediary for you or a crutch for you or a place where we supply your answers to life. We want the Bible to do that and for you to go to the Lord. Finally, uh, what can you expect? Uh, what do we expect from you? We expect nothing. But if you want, and we would hope, this is it, that you would bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you one. All right? Some quick questions we've had. Is Lord's Word specifically going to cater to former LDS? No, it is not going to be anything like this show. We will not be talking about anything LDS unless it crops up in the text of the Bible where there's some connection, but it will not be the focus whatsoever. We'll rarely ever, if ever, even mention. We are LDS friendly, we, meaning we will not be teaching against Mormonism. We will be teaching for Jesus Christ. Where can I get directions, times, and other information? www.lordsword.org, all one word. How can I volunteer to help? If you want to help us, it'd be great. www.lordsword.org. Uh, www Go there. What will you do with your teenagers? We do have a youth pastor. If there's enough teenagers who uh, want to get involved in something, our youth pastor will get another theater, and they'll go through the same thing that we do with the adults, except in a, in a more entertaining way, I guess. Verse by verse, exegetical study, and worship. That's it. All right. Uh, style of music, I told you that. What do you expect? I told you that. And that's the big announcement. All right. 
Before we go on to an examination of the Pearl of Great Price, which will begin next week, I think it would be, be, be beneficial to kind of fill in some gaps that I skipped over as we went through the entire um, translation of the Book of Mormon. Um, and I think it will help. As we mentioned last week, Joseph Smith uh, organized the LDS Church on April 6th of uh, 1830. Prior to this, in 1827, while Joseph was working at the Stoll and Knight families, farms as a visual person seeking out treasure. He returned home to make his annual visit to the Hill Cumorah as he said he was instructed. LDS author Richard Bushman says, quote, while at home he told his mother about Miss Emma Hale, who, quote, would be my choice in preference to any other woman I have seen. Joseph became attracted to Emma Hale, who is described as being very tall, with dark hair, when he and his father, Joseph Sr., boarded at their home while on a treasure-seeking expedition years before. Emma's father was a noted hunter and was friends with Josiah Stonewell, who headed up the mining venture, which Joseph participated in by using his visionary skills of looking into a peep stone to find treasure. Emma's father was not supportive of Joseph's treasure, treasure digging, and when Joseph came to court Emma Hale and then asked for her hand, her father said that, quote, Joseph was a stranger and followed a business of which I could not approve. Speaking of Joseph, Emma told her son years later, my folks were bitterly opposed to him and being importuned by her father, aided by Mr. Stowell, who urged me to marry him and preferring to marry him to any other man I knew, I consented. When they eloped, Joseph was 21 and Emma was 22. The couple moved to Manchester where Joseph farmed with his father. The following summer, uh, Emma wrote to her parents and asked if she could come and pick up some of her things. Their father invited her to come back, saying that he would be able to give those to her. And so she and Joseph and Joseph's neighbor, Peter Ingersoll, and the Ingersoll name, he's known for giving us all kinds of inside information onto the Smith family, which Mormons typically say is anti, but Ingersoll was a friend of the family. He, and this shows they even traveled together to get their things from, from uh, Emma's parents. They went to Harmony, Pennsylvania to retrieve these items of Emma's. This would be the first time that Joseph and, Emma, Joseph and Emma would meet her father being a married couple. Mr. Hale met them uh, tearfully. He rebuked Joseph for stealing his daughter and said, according to Bushman, that, quote, he would rather, have her he would rather follow her to the grave than have her married to Joseph Smith. Joseph then assured his father-in-law that his treasure-seeking days were over and that he was willing to work hard. Hale must have been convinced because later on, Joseph and Emma moved in to the Hale uh, property, into a house that was on that property, and that is where Joseph translated part of the Book of Mormon. Because of time, I'm not going to go into uh, the overabundance of information, pro and con, that has to do with Joseph and Emma in their early life um, as he translated the plates. The books are out there if you want to get them. So I wanted to fill you in of Joseph's marriage to Emma. That's going to play a very important role when we, when we get to polygamy and the type of woman that she was, how she ended up after Joseph was martyred, and what happened with all the wives thereafter. Also, when we were talking about the golden plates, I neglected to mention that Joseph was instructed to have somebody with him, and it was supposed to be Alvin, his brother. Alvin, his brother, died, and so Joseph took Emma with him to get the plates. That's something that I didn't mention. Uh, but uh, that is how the history supposedly went. Additionally, and as a means to catch up with uh, 
the time that we have, where we're at now, which is in church history, Joseph has translated the Book of Mormon and published it. Let me just say that in 1830, Joseph had uh, kind of started compiling these revelations that he had received. And uh, he compiled two dozen of them in 1830. And then in 1833, they produced a book, and it was called The Book of Commandments. Now, uh, that is a title most Latter-day Saints either aren't familiar with or when they say it, they, don't, they just say it without thinking. But I want you to consider that title of that book, The Book of Commandments, okay? Now, commandments from whom? We have the Book of Commandments. We have the Book of Commandments in the Bible. But Joseph called these revelations the Book of Commandments. Was it from him? Was it from his own mind? Was it from God? Was it from Satan? I think it takes an exorbitant amount of chutzpah for someone to say, God says this and you need to do this. God. God wants you to sell your home and give the proceeds to me. That takes such guts. Joseph would say it. God wants you to repent, obey, and marry me and give me your wife to marry. The Lord wants this. The angel of the Lord told me to. That takes such guts. That's the, that's the word to use on TV. It takes huge guts to be able to say that to people. All right? Remember Moses, when, when God told Moses to go talk to Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Pharaoh. God told Moses to go to... And Moses was like, what am I going to say? He's not going to take me seriously. And yet Joseph had this ability to have revelation after revelation and say that the Lord had said these commandments. I've always wondered what kind of attitude it would take for a person to be able to say, God has said for you to do this. Um, what would they be like to manipulate people? And what would the people be like who would follow somebody? Like maybe a David Koresh in Waco. How did he get, what kind of person was David Koresh when he got all those people to burn in that building? to trust his words so well. What did Joseph have to be able to say, God has told me to do this, and they believed him. I think that the first thing that a person has to have is a complete absence of fear of the Lord. They could not possibly fear God whatsoever with the things that they say. There could be, and that's a biggie, because the Lord says, do not take his name in vain. And that is really the definition of taking God's name in vain. It's not saying, oh God or Jesus, even though we don't like that. It's saying, God told me to tell you this and you better listen. That's taking his name in vain. That's using him. Okay, that's a big one. The word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The idea that God was once a man displays no fear of the Lord. The claim that God was a created being, that God cannot create something out of nothing, that God is subject to eternal laws and principles is not to fear the Lord. The claim that men can become a God is to show absolutely no respect or fear for the Lord. To me, the notion that people must do certain things in addition to the sacrifice of Jesus is absent of fear of the Lord. Institutions that continue to justify organizational deception in the name of keeping people in their church is no, shows no fear of the Lord. Doctrines that add uh, requirements for exaltation show no fear of the Lord. Another characteristic that would be, um, I think, present in somebody who could say, God wants you to do this and it not be the case, would uh, be an extreme amount of self-confidence. And uh, in such a man, there would be kind of an antinomian drive, and that means against law. 
And you would think that when you read many of Joseph Smith's revelations that they were for law. But in reality, he broke laws in order to do what he wanted. And polygamy, as I'm building up to this over these next few years, uh, weeks, as we talk next week about the Doctrine and Covenants, I, I mean about the Pearl of Great Price, we're going to move into polygamy. And, and I'm building into that because to come up with this revelation and then to talk to the women that, the way he did and the way he used God in order to get them to marry him uh, when they were already married, or when they were young teenagers and they were very influ- and when they rejected him and he came back and threw down even heavier on them, all those things show the sign of someone who was extremely confident and who absolutely did not fear God. There is no way you could fear God. Now, I'm not saying that Joseph didn't have reasons for not fearing God. He may have believed that God was speaking to him and he and God were buddies. I don't know. But the Bible gives us a different presentation of the holiness of God. And that than, the, than what we get through the history of Joseph Smith. In Joseph Smith's time, like in our day today, there were people who said they spoke with God. Ann Lee, the Shaker leader, claimed to receive revelations from, from God. Ellen G. White claimed to receive revelations from God. This was not new. This kind of charismatic receiving revelations was popular, all right? But Joseph's revelations were very different in the sense that they sounded like they came from God. He talked in, in uh, that King's English we talk about in his revelations. So he had God speaking in King's English to him. Hearken, O ye inhabitants of the earth. I, the Lord, speak, and you shall obey my word with all of your heart, might, mind, and strength. I mean, when you're rattling this stuff off, it sounds like that. And when you read Ellen G. White's revelations and, and Ann Lee's revelations, they don't have this, this tenor. So he, he knew how to do that. The key to them, however, is in the reading. There are some revelations Joseph Smith had that you can find in the Doctrine and Covenants that could be passable as if they came from God. There are a number of them that absolutely you can see the manipulation he is using in God's name to get people to do what he wants. If he does it even once, we have a major problem, okay? Let's open up the phone lines at uh, 801-973-8820, 801-973-8820. 8820. And in the meantime, I'm going to uh, read some emails. I've got to do this. I want to say we had a number of people call or write uh, about the 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 things about the three levels of heaven. Um, on our website, uh, Dan Vogel, a scholar of scholars, he mentioned that he learned from Gene Scott on TV that the first heaven is where the birds fly, the second heaven is where the sun, moon, and stars are, and the third heaven is where God is. So that was a great response. We also heard from Kitty Hawk who said that the first atmosphere is taught by the Jewish cosmology is where the earth and the birds fly. The second is the place of the sun and the stars. The third is where God dwells. So it came from Jewish cosmology and that's where Dan Vogel uh, got that. And then Stan also says that the Bible talks about that uh, the, the risen and glorified Lord is said to have passed through the heavens plural, and now having ascended higher than all the heavens, meaning above that, that's the place where God dwells, to be exalted above the heavens. So the heavens, and I learn every time when we do this show from guys like you supplying me with this stuff, the heavens refers to the place where God dwells. And like they said, there's where the birds fly, there's where the stars and the moon are, and then there's where God dwells. Uh, From uh, Brian, he says, if the Mormons prayed and the seagulls came and ate all the crickets before, why don't they do the same thing now instead of spraying for them? 
Uh, I think I just read that because it made me laugh. I, it's a good question. I don't know, but uh, excellent, excellent comedy, I guess. Uh, Joseph said, it is a pity, really, that you have chosen to lesser light in the doctrines of men. Obviously, Sean, you've never grasped the reality in the difference in knowing the path and walking the path. I walked the path, uh, Joseph, but maybe I didn't know it. Uh, I've talked uh, to you, many like you, you're all the same. You can't leave the church alone because of faults in the weaknesses of men and their understanding. It is a pity, it really is. Just giving you that. Uh, just want to say to Lowell Foster, he gives me these nuggets of great uh, scriptural wisdom. Thank you, Lowell. Uh, want to go to John Hansen. They, John Hansen is down in the uh, Provo Orem area, and he and his wife have been fellowshipping a lady. And I guess this lady has some, uh, some leaders in her ward that have convinced her to stop talking to John. And they have actually brought out the big guns and had them visit this woman. And now the woman is completely backed off out of fear. And I just want to let you know that that happens all the time. I want you to know that I come home from work sometimes, and because my wife and daughter's names are still in the roles of the church, that the uh, LDS missionaries have decided to come over. Uh, they come over in early afternoon every time, knowing that I get home about 3 o'clock. They usually stop by about 1.30. Not in the evening, not in the normal time. They come in when I'm not there, and they do that. This is a strategy that they constantly are working to try to get you. And so, uh, John, prayer is going to help a lot in that circumstance. Uh, we got a lot of calls, but let me read a few more. I said I would. Uh, Terrence says that if you don't want to be LDS any longer, go to www.mormonnomore.com. Mormonnomore.com. And the site provides a wealth of information on, on the process of leaving the LDS church. And um, another Sarah asks or states that when LDS people, why I have left the church, and when I say sin, that that's misleading, that Sarah did not sin, but she left the church because she came to find out that it wasn't true and that Jesus uh, was alive and on the throne and not, not anything else. The reason I say sin is because it was sin that let me see that there was nothing I could do to, to better myself and that Jesus was the one who took care of my sin. And I know I use that in kind of a flippant way here, but sometimes I say stuff quickly and shortly to get people to think and wonder and do whatever just to spark an interest. But your point's well taken. Uh, there are many people who leave the LDS church who have not sinned at all. I meet them all the time. Uh, but in my case, I, I recognize myself as a sinner and went from there. Uh, Daniel asks, who wrote the Book of Mormon? Uh, it doesn't seem a poorly uneducated person like Joseph Smith could have done it. Another honest question, why do great Christian scholars not fully discredit the Book of Mormon by producing a book of counterfeit scripture equal to the Book of Mormon to prove that it can't actually be done? I challenge anybody out there who wants to write their own Book of Mormon. I think somebody online wrote something, um, like the Book of Zelf or something, that uh, was of interest. And one last question, uh, what does God truly think of devout Christ-centered gays and lesbians? And I think uh, God thinks... Uh, the same of a, a devout gay and lesbian as he thinks of me and you. You know, uh, we're sinners, we're fallen, and gay and lesbians take up their issues with God like I take up my issues with God, and he changes us according to his will and not our own. Uh, Dumont says, I just had a suggestion for you. When you say, I don't care if you're Mormon or it doesn't matter if you keep the Book of Mormon, that possibly I could say church history, extra biblical books, and all these things are not the most important matter. What matters most is being born again. So he said that Dumont, and uh, 
good uh, thing. And we, uh, we're going to go to Bob at South Jordan. Bob, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, um, I just wanted to uh, touch base, like I told the screener. Uh, you asked the question, what, would it, uh, what kind of person would follow Joseph Smith uh, early on? And, uh, you know, I'm just pointing to Martin Harris. Uh, since he, I'm assuming he was one of the ones that you meant that he was told to sell his house. And, uh, you know, here's Martin Harris, uh, to the end of his days, uh, testified that uh, he'd, you know, heard the voice of an angel, of God, that he'd seen the angel, that he'd seen the plates, that, you know. Shown by the angel, yeah. And, and in, that uh, second, he was, in that second sight bit, you're right. It, well, actually, second sight, there's one reference for a second sight, and you read his actual his personal writings on the subject, and he said that that's not the case, that he, that he actually saw with his natural eyes the plate. Does that, does that improve your faith, uh, Bob, that you believe Martin Harris, who was uh, described as being uh, really almost a psychotic spiritualist, does that inc increase your faith to say that he partnered up with Joseph Smith and witnessed that there were gold plates? Um, I, I guess it angel? would improve my faith if, uh, if you've got a way to actually discredit the, the 12, 14, 15 people that said they saw, handled, or managed the plates. Well, we had a show on that, and I thought, I, 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 we had a show on that, Bob, and I thought we fully discredited the witnesses. Oh, I, the, think the, Grant Pal I think Grant Palmer does an excellent job of discrediting the witnesses. Who does? I'm Grant sorry. Palmer. Well, Grant Palmer's stuff's not credible. I mean, if you want to talk about an uncredited witness, Grant Palmer's material is uh, excellent you know, he, he wrote it based on the hoffman documents when it came no that book is the, the, that part has nothing to do with uh eta hoffman nothing the part we're talking hoffman about has nothing is, to do is, with, hoffman. The, with the golden bow is actually a, is actually laughable that he yeah. that palmer queries or po postulates that that was something. well he did postulate that but that was a very small part of his book well why why include it at all it's clearly well, he, he, he a, thought a, a he thought that there was something to it i don't see any problem with that it was a postulation in fact i think in the book he said you know this isn't gospel this is just something i find interesting but the other doesn't make the other stuff invalid no it, not necessarily but it does when you start looking at, at if you want to use palmer if you want to use palmer's references and the selective use of sources that he has it, it actually, in my opinion, it doesn't validate what yeah. he says because yeah, I don't it's not so. a uh, broad... Well, you know, if we can... Look, Grant Palmer or not Grant Palmer, I like Grant and I think that he wrote a great book, but let's just go to utlm.org. I mean, yeah. this is funny, Bob, because you're coming and you're, you're going to you're gonna try to give some kind of hope to this whole scam it's, by it's saying this is... No more scam look, than... Go to utlm.org and look at the documents yourself. I have. I, not, I actually... I'm not talking to you. I'm talking I to our audience. The books. I know your mind. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to our audience. I know, Bob. Listen, oh, audience, I'm someone who actually audience, go to UT, utlm.org and look up the stuff yourself. Do not believe me. Do not believe Bob. Well, believe you, what you read you with actually. your own eyes. Believe me on this. I've looked at it. Well, guess what? I've well, believe you, Bob. I mean, what? I'm trying to get people to think and look. You're trying to get people to just accept. No, There's I'm not. Difference. Actually, I think if people will check out what the church says. What the church says? More the church has been so... Uh, uh, absolutely uh, incredulous with the information they have leaked over the years. How how could you even say Le what the like, church like, says? Like leaked like what? Well, how come? Well, how come in the libraries right now and in the primaries that my kids have gone to, how come they don't have pictures of Joseph looking in a hat? How come well, there's not I, one single picture of Joseph looking in a hat? Until the 1960s. How come there's not one single picture of Joseph looking in a hat? Because, I, again, I don't because think the most church understood is that deceptive. as, as a part, Because a lot of the historic 
documents have come out since the 1960s. Okay, so 1960s. So look at, we're in 2000. We're in 2007. Oh, look we're, at the do, look at the pictures that are in church libraries. When were they painted? When were they constructed? They're well, well, look at look at 60s. Bob, here's the problem. Well, here's the problem. You you are in a deceptive church no, that I'm will not. say and do anything it can there, to keep its public image. There's no when they show Joseph it, with his face in a hat, they, they don't they don't decide to be an apostle. They get called to that position. Yeah. Okay. So, so well, how we're, we're going all over the place. Can, I'm not going to do it with you. I've got other calls of more importance. Bob, nice try though. You take care. All right. We're, that's going to make it mad, and I wanted to. All right. We're going to read on line four. Read. You're on heart of the matter. Read. Read. Is four out? We're going to Jeannie from Layton on line one. Jeannie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, love your show. Thanks, thanks Jeannie. Thanks for being there. Um, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, I have, uh, my question is, as, um, I'm not LDS, my husband was raised LDS, um, he doesn't go, but um, today I was thinking about it and I thought, what if the church, the Mormon church does turn, I mean, where, it would be such a different looking church, I mean, was it even possible, thinking about their um, ongoing revelations, could they evolve into a Christian church? You know, that's a really good question. As far as ongoing revelations, they've had very, very few. That chutzpah that Joseph Smith had to receive a revelation every day and to write him in in a book of commandments, you don't find that once he died. Brigham Young had very few things to say uh, as far as revelations, and the things he did say were a disaster, most of them. Uh, he was a great organizer, though, by a fantastic organizer. And then most of the prophets thereafter have not come up with revelations for the church. We have Blacks and the Priesthood in 76. We had the Manifesto, which came through Wilford Woodruff in 1890. And besides that, uh, don't have more than one piercing, I think, may have been a revelation. Or I can't tell. But, I mean, that's about the quality of revelations we're getting from the prophets today. So I don't think the, tra the transference from being a revelatory church to being a Christian church that believes in Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost would be a big thing whatsoever. You know what? I honestly believe this, whether, and I'd like to hear your thought. I think that the church could stand up and the prophet could say, we're done with all this history. We are done with it. Shave it off. Clean it up. Let's put it behind us. We just want to look to the cross of Christ. And I believe that the majority of the Mormons would rejoice. Would, rejoice. Would they be called Mormons still? They could be called Mormons just like Lutherans are called Lutherans. I, don't, I mean, that's kind of weird. They'd be called after a fictitious character. But uh, I think they'd probably drop that term Mormon. But nevertheless, um, it would be wonderful to see. And I think that uh, God wants it, and I think he's pushing for it. I have heard through uh, the grapevine, strong grapevine, that this uh, PBS special has really brought a lot of questions and calls from members wanting to know what's going on. I've heard through the grapevine that uh, Bob Millett, Mr. BYU, um, is going to be giving uh, a 50 or 100 question response to these tough questions. I would look at that. I would love to have Bob, again, an invitation, Bob. Brother Bob, I'd love to have you sitting by me, brother. Come sit here and let's talk about your views of Mormonism and what you claim Mormonism is. And let's talk about that here on the show. And I'll be respectful to you, not like I was to that, Bob. But you, I will. I'll be respectful to you, Bob, and let's talk. But in any case, I think that it can change. I think there's pressure on them. And uh, it's up to us to con just keep the fire at their feet.
Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, and God bless you. Sorry if I've rambled on. That's okay. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Joe and Magna. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hey, Joe. Yeah? How you doing? You're on the air, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. okay, I've got this question written down, so if it sounds like I'm not, it's not personal, it is. It's just that I don't want to say something I don't want to say. Okay. <laughs> anyway, a survey was taken last week according to the uh, Trib or Desert News. Uh-huh. And they surveyed the people, and the people were saying back to the church that uh, they wanted to know more about their church, and they wanted it to be more open and not so secretive. Uh-huh. Uh, and the paper said that they could be more open, but on private or sacred matters, they would not budge. Wow. So wow. that's kind of ditto a lot it is right now, ain't it? Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine today about that very topic. And it's like... Uh the 12 apostles are supposed to be uh, special witnesses of Jesus Christ. And when the apostles were on the earth and after Jesus was crucified, even to the peril of their life, in fact, they gave their life for their witness, they would not shut up about the Lord Jesus Christ. They could not be stopped about their witness. Now, we have these 12 apostles who are supposed to have seen the same thing. Now, that's the myth that goes on in the LDS Church. And what do they say? Well, it's too sacred to talk about. We can't share that. So what they're essentially saying is that we can't share that with the masses because the the masses are swine. So they don't tell their own congregates, who they must be, view as swine, that they have seen the Lord because they don't cast their pearls before the swine. If they've really seen the Lord, they would step out and say it. This whole thing about sacred, and it's just a protective barrier to keep the myth-making going, to keep, there is so much mysticism within Mormonism as to what is true and what is not. Come on, LDS apostles, stand up and say you've had face-to-face -face witness of Jesus Christ. Tell us, tell your members you've seen them. Let's hear this from your mouth, that you've seen them with your physical eyes, not in some spiritual sense, okay? That would be, a, a, a way, that would not be not sacred. That would be a very sacred thing if that actually happened. You won't hear it. One of the things that really troubles me is that if my daughter was to get married in the, in the temple, uh -huh. that she's my daughter and I would not be able to attend that wedding. And not being able to attend that wedding don't bother me as much as when my daughter comes out, she won't tell me what happened in there. Yeah. Well. And that really bothers me. Yeah. You know what? It's... Uh... It, the, the scheme of things, it's something very insignificant. You're not missing much. Uh, so uh, it is unfortunate that they can't do that. Insignificant or not, it, it, that's beside the point. When you is. don't know something, you know, you don't know that it's insignificant or really important or what, you know. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's a way that they keep the us versus them going. It's uh, sacred. Okay. Uh, yeah. I know I'm going to have to settle for that, so... Hey, thank you for listening to me. Oh, and, uh, okay, thanks for the call. Shut up. Okay, bye. We're going to Bart in Salt Lake. We'll try line four again. Bart, you're on Heart of the Matter. Bart? Bart. I like that name. Bart! No Bart. All right, sorry, man. We are going to Steve in Clearfield. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Steve? Huh? <laughs> Steve, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. I just wanted to tell you I love, love you with all my heart. I haven't talked to you in quite a while. Thanks. Uh, oh, you're welcome. I just had four things I wanted to touch upon really quickly. Did you say four? 
Yes. Wow. All right. Make them quick. I will. Okay. Uh, what are the many errors of the Bible? Which errors? That's a good question. Uh, which errors? Uh, it's probably just the lack of knowledge on your part. Because uh, there aren't any errors. Uh, the next thing I wanted to touch upon is there was a point when Joseph Smith uh, was boasting and bragging about himself. Uh, he said, I have more to boast of than any, any man ever has. I'm the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. You know my daily work and conversation. And I am in the bosom of virtuous and good people. How I do love to hear the wolves howl. When they can get rid of me, the devil will also go. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, that shows a lot of chutzpah, doesn't it? It does, but do you notice how he ends that with, when they can get rid of me, the devil will also go? Yeah. Then it's quite interesting to find out that uh, in the ceremony of the temple endowment ceremony, Lucifer's right there. Now, in the Holy of Holies, Sean, where even the most elite cannot enter, really, <laughs> I mean, you got to pass all these tests just to get in there. Why in the world would you have the most sinful thing in <coughs> I know. Good points, my friend. What, give us what else. These are great things, but quick. Go to the next one. And then the next thing that I, I wanted to talk about is... Uh, in the signs and penalties, a third old... Oh, wait. Don't go into that, man. It's just going to make them mad. And there's, peop there's people who still believe in it. So don't even go into that. Go to the next one. Last point. Well, last point I wanted to make is, uh, you know, when you make these various promises or oaths, uh, the Mormon is actually violating his own scripture found in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Uh, throughout the Book of Mormon, secret oaths, are considered to be an abomination. Right. Check out Alma 37:27, Helaman 6:22-26, right. Fourth Nephi 5:42, Ether 8:15-16, and Third Nephi 12:34-36. I'm glad you got it on tape, my friend. It's good comments. I really appreciate your call. Thank you, and I love you. Love you too. God bless. Thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Michael in Bountiful. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yep. Hey, you're on the air, my friend. Yes, Sean, this is Michael. Michael. Yes, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. All right, what's going on? Oh, you know, I've been listening to your show for some time, and uh, I thought I just wanted to ask you one question. Yes. Do you know everything? Do I know everything? Yeah. Well, let me think about that. <laughs> no, I don't know everything. Hey, who knows everything? God. Who know, God knows, right? Yes. And I see listening to you, you're saying that read my Born Again Book of Mormon, you'll be converted from... I've never said that. Oh, you, why do you give the book to the people? I give the book, but I don't say it's going to convert them. I've never said that. That's the idea of you giving to them, right? Well, hopefully it will give them insight. Yeah. Right, come on, let's oh. play fair. Play fair. Put the little toys away and let's just play fair. Okay, now what else? Since okay. You, you have an agenda, let's hear it. Okay, next one. Okay. What did... What did Christ say? If this doctrine is of mine or of its men, what did he say? 
If it is mine, you shall know by the fruit. Okay. Okay. Tell me any church who is serving freely, who goes on a mission when he is 18 years old. When he comes back, he serves in a different callings in the church. Yeah. As he goes another mission. Uh huh. I am in the temple serving missions and yeah. a bishop for 20 hours every week freely. 20 hours? Is it 20? 20 hours they spend every week. That's a lot. Yeah. Okay, keep and going. There's more, to, sometimes there's more. But tell me any. More? Unbelievable. <laughs> Michael. You belong to. Do you think those. First, you think. You send your son to mission. Michael. Voluntarily paying his own money. Because I'm from India, okay? I know you're from India, Michael. Listen. Uh, see, yeah. I come here and I've seen a church for the last 25 years. I know, Michael. Thanks now, let me. Talking. Michael, let me respond. Let me Michael, let me respond. Okay. You brought up the fruits. You gave the example of the missionaries, and now you're starting to ramble. You should be a preacher, Michael. Listen, uh, it's, it's very, Michael, it's very simple. Michael, the fruits are not the fruits that you are describing. The fruits are, what, how are, what are the fruits described as in Ephesians? Love, Galatians, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. These are the fruits. It is not the outward fruits of serving. To Let me tell you something. Wait, wait, I'm not done. My little dialogue's not done. Now, Go Go you ahead. are saying that all this outward stuff uh -huh. is, is a manifestation that it's true. I say it's a manifestation of this world. Okay. Okay, now go ahead. Okay, now you said love is a fruit, right? Love, yes. Okay, I was living in India 10,000 miles away. A person who brought the gospel to me, if he didn't have that love of Christ, why would he give the gospel to me? Why well, maybe he, he felt obligated to go to India. Maybe his mommy and daddy were making him since he was a boy, hope they call him on a mission, and he went there I for that. I go on a mission. My, my mom and dad was not a member of the church. Okay, so who brought you the gospel? On a mission. Why did he bring it? Your mom and dad have nothing. Michael, listen, this is a private conversation. Our audience... Are growing beards and to going to the Twinkies. We gotta go to something else, Michael. We gotta go to something else. This is killing us. Okay, call me or email me, and I'll have a private discussion with you. I'll sit down one on one with you. Sure, but, I'd love to. Okay, let's do it. All right. Okay, you email me. Bye bye. All right, let's go to Mike and Holiday. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. All right, Sean. Hey. Hey, this is Mike, your resident scholar. Oh, excellent. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. I've got something that'll probably make you happy. All right. Um. Would you believe that the Ensign in July 1993 uh, published an article where it talked about Joseph Smith putting the tearstone in a hat and pulling it around his face? I would believe it. Yep. Uh, it's called A Treasured Testament by Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Yeah. Uh, Ensign, July 1993, I think that's number 61. Yeah. Um, in it, the, uh, and, and this is coming from an apostle. Yeah. Right? Uh, the details of this miraculous method of translation are still not fully known, yet we do have a precious that. insight. David Whitmer wrote, quote, Joseph Smith would put the seer stone into a hat and put his face in the hat, drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light, yeah. yada, yada, yada. You know this. Yeah. So there it is in a church magazine. You know what? I, I believe that these guys are not dumb. Yeah. And I think they know that with the advent of the Internet, that in 93 they better start admitting something. So they start putting this stuff in their magazines. Now, uh -huh. they know that the people who read the magazines are the stalwart people of the church. Uh -huh. And so those people could read that, that again, Joseph Smith rode uh, three beavers around in the, in the forest, and it's going to be okay. Uh -huh. All right? So, but what they don't do is they don't take it to the masses because they know that the masses would say, what? What the crud are you talking about? 
and they can't get away. But, but now, it's 2007, they can go back and say, we've talked about this since 1993. Why, look at this article. Let's hear it to the masses. It's just a game. It's a manipulation and it's a game. It's not honest. And that's what's so tiring about this is the constant manipulation of the corporate identity to get the church to continue to thrive. They've been very good at it. I got to give them that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the way I see it, Mike. Well, I emailed you the link. So. That's a great uh, quote, though. Hey, hey, take care. Thanks a lot, uh, right. resident scholar. Okay, bye. We're going to Carl and American Fork. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Carl. Hello. You're on the air. Yes. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Carl. Doing well. Hey, uh, your earlier uh, message, you were talking about uh, the various types of the Christianity, uh, conservative, liberal. And uh, one of the items that I've picked up from some of your programs is the body of Christ, as you talk about. Yes. And uh, I have a basic question. Uh, I guess you're familiar with the pastor Benny Hinn. Yes. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, what I'm wondering is, how do you feel? Is, is, Is that kind of preaching, that kind of display that... He puts on where he, he hits people on the head and he heals them and all this. Is that part of the body of Christ? Well, let me answer it this way. We can't tell. Jesus said there's going to be wheat and there's going to be tares. And he said, don't go in early and yank out the tares because it's going to yank the wheat up with it. He said, let them grow and grow to full maturity. And then at the harvest, you can pull them out. And then we'll know. We know that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. We know that there are people who cast out devils in Jesus' name, and he'll say, I don't know you. I don't know. I try not to assign diabolical intentions to people. Okay. But, um, so that's my answer, as politically vague as that is. Or maybe even politically correct, I'm not sure. Yeah, one or the other. But I, I think, I guess, it's just a shame that, that some people can miss out on a, on a, on a good message uh, with the way he presents things. I, you know, I just don't subscribe to that, but yeah. that's my opinion. I'll have you know uh, that there are some very good Christian people I know, and they give him the benefit of the doubt, and they really are good Christians, and they just give him that Christian benefit of the doubt. And so I try to do that, and I'm trying to do that more and more and not be such a pompous ass. Can, can I say that on air? Not be such a pompous donkey. And I just try to give the benefit of the doubt, but in many ways I, I concur with you completely. Well, Boy, I, am, I should be in politics. I should be in politics. Don't, don't, don't shave your beard. I've had a beard for 25 years. Yes! Join the beard club. All right, brother, thanks. Okay. Bye. All right, bye-bye. We're going to D in Salt Lake City. D, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Uh, listen, I just uh, wanted to mention something. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with lectures on faith. Yes. Okay. Well, um, I just wanted to read you an excerpt out of this, and I want you to tell me your thoughts on it. Okay. okay? All right. And, uh, first, I want to read you what Bruce R. McConkie said about uh, the lectures on faith. Okay. <clears throat> In my judgment, it is the most comprehensive, inspired utterance that now exists in the English language, that exists uh, in one place, defining, interpreting, expounding, announcing, and testifying what kind of being God is. It was written by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the spirit of inspiration, 
It is, in fact, eternal scripture. It is true. Bruce R. McConkie, this was at a lecture at Brigham Young University. Okay. Now, I just uh, uh, this is uh, important teachings out of it. Okay. We here observe that God is the only supreme governor and independent being in whom all fullness and perfection dwell, who is om- uh, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, without beginning of days or end of life, and that in him every good gift and every good principle dwell, and that he is the father of lights. In him the principle of faith dwells independently, and he is uh, the object in whom faith of all other rational and accountable beings center for life and salvation. I want you to tell me why they removed this from the Doctrines and Covenants. Now, as far as I can tell, it's the doctrine of the Doctrines and Covenants. And it was uh, put in by Joseph Smith, Alva Crowdy, Sidney Rigdon. The, uh, the Church voted on it. They all uh, put it in there. They, they unanimously said put it in there. And then uh, Joseph Fielding Smith came along and removed it. Sounds like a sectarian uh, creed of the Christian Church. Huh? It sounds like a sectarian creed of the Christian Church. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. uh, pretty amazing. And so I think uh, I'm just kind of curious if anybody knows, besides these kind of lame excuses, why they removed it if they considered this scripture, other than that it contradicts some of the doctrines that were coming out later on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some homework. I'm going to call Sandra Tanner at Utah Lighthouse Ministries, ask her, and we'll check that out. Great call, though. Great information. Okay. All right, brother. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. We have one last call. Joseph, you have 40 seconds. All right. Fire away. Hello. Joseph, you're on the air. Yes, this is Joseph. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. I'm glad to hear from you. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for all you're doing. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, thanks for answering my email. It's really been beneficial for me. Um, but I just want to say that what you say is, is right on the mark, uh, I try to sit down and read uh, the book of John. I can't read it without without bringing a tear to my eye. It's just uh, it's like uh, looking through things with a whole new uh, perspective. Praise oh, God, Joseph. I won't take up a lot of your time. I just wanted to tell you that I appreciate it, and uh, you've really made a big difference. And thanks again for responding to my email. You're welcome, Joseph. God bless you. Thanks. God for- bless you. You too, Sean. Okay. Bye bye. Well, that was a great call to end on. And uh, thanks for everybody who's here in the studio audience and uh, everybody who's at home. I challenge you to search things out for yourself. I challenge you to go to the Lord and see if you have a regenerative relationship through Him that you know you're born again, uh, like Jesus uh, demanded, and uh, that you trust His Word. And if not, keep pursuing and seeking truth. He will manifest Himself to you, I promise you that. Listen, tonight, Squatters Pub... If you want to drive to Salt Lake City, 3rd South, between 1st and 2nd West, uh, we just hang out there from about 9.30 on. We'd love to see you next week. We're going to begin the Pearl of Great Price. See you then.